Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Vanished ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. There is something fishy going on because it's not lining up. There's nothing about this missing case that's textbook anything. There's something that happened that we're not privy to. Just the whole thing just doesn't sound right. Something's not sitting right with me. Never has and probably never will. The grief doesn't get easier, but you grow around it and you learn how to deal with it. And it's always like looking over your shoulder, like expecting them to be there. Or dreams are the worst. I've had dreams that like, he's just suddenly back. We hope he is out there somewhere and we're not gonna stop looking. And we don't care what has happened since. We just hope that he comes home that he knows how much we love him and how much we miss him. By May of 2022, 33-year-old Christopher Hoy was living in Dixon, Missouri, along with his wife and their blended family. They had relocated from Illinois to try to live a more simple life, homesteading. On May 19th, 2022, things seemed to be going like any usual day on the farm. There were animals to tend to, and the kids were running around. Chris and his wife, Alicia, were divvying up their chores. Alicia says that she went outside to milk their goats, and while she was gone, Chris disappeared. She said that she could hear his truck start up, but she wasn't close enough to see anything. When she finished up with the goats and returned to the house, something didn't seem right. Chris's truck was gone, the gate was left open, and Chris's wallet and phone were left at the house. Hoping that Chris had just left for a quick errand, Alicia waited, but Chris never came back. A couple of hours later, Alicia decided to go out looking for him and found his truck abandoned not far from their home. Despite extensive searches of that area, no trace of Chris Hoy has ever been found. I'm Marissa, and from Wondery, this is episode 397 of The Vanished, Christopher Hoy's Story. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, and more. And my favorite part is that members can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, while traveling, working out, doing chores, you decide. I carve out a little bit of time each evening to listen while I'm cooking, and right now I'm listening to Lay Them to Rest by Laura Norton. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MIA or text MIA to 500-500. Chris was born to Dan and Tina Hoy on March 16, 1989. They later had a daughter, Ashley. Chris and his sister Ashley grew up in Illinois and seemed to have an average childhood. Chris's mother passed away several years ago after a battle with cancer, but we were able to speak with Chris's father, Dan, about his son's early years. Well, he's the oldest. He was two years older than Ashley, so he kind of looked out for her when they were going through school, so it was a good thing. He was a pretty bright kid. Well, he was into sports quite a bit. He liked baseball, so we started him off fairly early 
playing t-ball and then little league. And then he got to be a pitcher, a pretty good pitcher when he was in high school. He, they went to the championship and, and he was the starting pitcher. So he liked sports. I took him to quite a few Cubs games. We put him through Christian schools until he was eighth grade. Then he wanted to go to a regular high school, which we ended up sending both uh, Chris and Ashley when they got freshman year. We sent him to uh, Pekin High School, and that's where he really got into playing baseball and got to be, like I said, a fairly good pitcher. Dan explained that as Chris got older, his interests shifted, and he had a real talent for working on vehicles and machining. He seemed to really enjoy hands-on work. He also was a pretty good mechanic, too. He'd get cars and trucks and repair them, and he, he did all his own truck repairs. He liked that. He went to uh, school for Caterpillar Diesel, so he enjoyed working on cars and trucks. I got him in. Uh, I worked at uh, Illinois Machine and Tool for a long time as a machinist, and I got him in there, and he continued being a machinist for years. He always had a job. And he liked woodworking, too, because I was doing a lot of woodworking. He enjoyed doing that. We'd be down in my shop, and he'd be out there with me. So a lot of hands-on stuff he liked. And he was pretty smart at math, too. Yeah, you got to know trigonometry and geometry to be a good machinist. And he was a good machinist. Speaking with Chris's aunt, Teresa, she gave us a similar picture of Chris. They had a close relationship over the years, and Chris confided in her about his dreams and struggles. As a child, he was goofy. He was happy. And as he was growing up, of course, he was in the teenage years where he was raised in a Christian family. So his teenage years, he was kind of rebelling a little bit. So then when he got older, like graduated and stuff, he did leave home and live in his truck for a while. And then he lived with me for a couple months. And then he went back home with his mom and dad. He's always been a worker, always had dreams of having a homestead in the country with animals and lots of children. And his skills are just like his father's, my brother Dan. They can operate machines. And besides that, with all kinds of different machines, they uh, have the skill of, of a carpentry, building things. He remodeled some of his houses. He, he did all of his houses by himself, remodeling them. Chris is very smart. I mean, very smart. And he did good. I mean, when he remodeled, he did an excellent job. When he ran the machines, because I actually worked with him at Caterpillar, he was on one side of the wall and I was on the other side of the wall. He was a good machinist. He knew what he was doing. So he's kind of like the rest of us on the, on the hoy side. He was happy. Sometimes if he didn't get his way, he wasn't. And if you let it get to him, then he would, he would kind of... I don't know. He'd be grouchy or sad. He would never say he was, he was sad. Years ago, Chris was in a long-term relationship with a woman named Cynthia. The two had a son and daughter together. Dan told us that this relationship was volatile and didn't last or end well. Nobody in the family liked Cynthia on my side. She was a jealous, overprotective woman. My first wife had cancer, and we were sitting at home one time when uh, they came over, they had just gotten there. I'd say probably about 15 minutes. And Cynthia kept hitting Chris and looking at the watch and showing him stuff on Facebook. And it was some kind of barbecue she wanted to go to. Well, Chris was there talking to his mom and she just kept pestering for about a half an hour. And he finally ended up just getting up and walking out. I mean, she was just like that. It was pretty much all about her. Yeah. And she would constantly hit him. I mean, 
my wife's uh, sister, they came down to visit her. And she said she about jumped up one time and got grabbed a hold of Cynthia because she swung and hit Chris in the shoulder real hard because she got mad. She was just that kind of person. I and what what he saw in her, I have no idea. After they split, we were told that Chris had primary custody of the children. Although we'd like to acknowledge that we weren't able to establish contact with Chris's ex, so we don't have her side of the story on how this relationship ended or how Chris came to have primary custody of the kids. In 2017, Chris met his current wife, Alicia. Dan felt that Alicia was a much better match for his son. He got together with her, I believe it was in Washburn. I had seen her a couple times, and then I lived in Pekin, and he worked at Caterpillar, and he was working second shift. So he would bring the, uh, the kids over for me to watch during the day. And he brought her over a couple times, and she seemed like a really nice girl. I mean, I, re- I really like Alicia. And, and we, uh, we went out to dinner a few times. I mean, just did we, you know, we saw each other. And I thought she was just 100 times better than Cynthia was. Uh, I didn't know her that well. She came over to my house a few times, and I met her a few times over in Washburn, and she seemed like a good girl. And I didn't see anything volatile at all. Chris and Alicia's families seemed to mesh well. Alicia had an older daughter, Zoe, from a previous relationship, and Chris had the two younger kids. We're bleeping out the names of Chris's children from the previous relationship in this episode due to privacy concerns and also because there's an active custody dispute over Chris's two older children, which we will get to later on. Dan told us that Chris, Alicia, and all of the children seemed like one big happy family. Zoe changed her last name to Hoy after uh, a few months of being with him. She really liked Chris, loved Chris. And Alicia, really, uh, with the other two grandchildren, she was more like a mom to them than Cynthia ever could be. I mean, you know, she'd, she'd be a little strict when she was supposed to be strict. She showed love when she was supposed to show love, but she acted like a mother. We also spoke to Alicia, and she recalled how she and Chris bumped into each other one day. Alicia wasn't looking to meet anyone at that time, but she found Chris to be charming. We met in November of 2017 at Sue's place. Uh, It's a bar. I was meeting a friend of mine there to play pool, and I got there early, and he was there, and he tried chatting me up and all that, and I was just there to meet my friend to play pool, so I didn't really care to engage. And so I kind of gave him a cold shoulder, and he he would laugh at me to this day, you know, about that. But then he started talking about his kids. And I started becoming interested because I'm a special ed teacher. He was talking about how his three-year-old needed extra help. We talked, and when my friend got there, we played pool, and he came, kind of came over, you know, bought me drinks. And it was a great night. Every day since then, I was with him. He's the biggest extrovert ever. Uh, he's the complete opposite of me. He made friends easily. He was always there to help. He was the best dad I could ever imagine. Uh, he was smart, very intelligent. He loved to build things, fix things. He had his own business. He was a notary. He became a realtor. So that kind of personality, you know, where he's outgoing and everyone loved him. When Chris and Alicia met, she had her older daughter, Zoe, from a previous relationship. And Chris had his two younger children. Chris and Alicia later had another daughter together. We spoke to Chris's stepdaughter, Zoe. And she told us that Chris quickly jumped into the father role in her life and had a meaningful impact on her during her teen years. I call him my dad. When I first met him, he was very 
he was just very easygoing. I was 15. When me and my mom had lived with my grandma before she met him, we weren't in the greatest situation. He was just very open and accepting. From the get-go, I feel like he knew I just wouldn't trust people right off the bat. He just was loving. He didn't have to do anything that he did, but he opened his arms. He opened his home. His kids are my siblings. I love them. And I love him like he was my own father. Like he is to me. The longer that they were together, they always knew what the other was thinking. They always knew what the other was going to do. They were so close. He's a very outdoorsy person. He and my mom always had a lot of projects going. Like they were either fixing the house. They were doing stuff for their business doing stuff with us kids. Like, we were always on the move. We were always doing stuff. He is truly the best person I could have asked for for a dad. He tried so hard to make sure, like, we had everything we needed. There would be mornings where, because I was homeschooled before I went to public school with a mom and Chris. They put me in public school because they gave me an option. You can either keep homeschooling and you can stay here and do all your work and we'll help you, or you can go to public school. And public school is always something I'd always wanted to do because I was sick of staying at home with no one, right? I went to public school, and there were days where I would wake up, and I was in the worst mood. I just wasn't feeling it. And I'd be honest with Chris. I'm like, hey, can I stay home from school today? Like, it is a bad day. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll call the school and let him know. And then we would hang out for the day. We would go do stuff. Like, I would help him with what he needed help with. He would help me. Prior to his marriage to Alicia, Teresa had witnessed Chris enter relationships with people who just weren't good for him but she really felt that Chris had a bright future ahead of him with Alicia. Before he got married to Alicia, I think Alicia is the best thing for him. He just seemed to pick the wrong people to be with. And that, you know, sometimes wrong people can gravitate towards you. Chris had worked as a realtor. He purchased some homes, fixed them up, and rented them out as a source of income. He was doing well. Their family was happy together. He had everything that he had ever wanted and more. His goal was to have enough properties that he could retire and live off of the passive income from his rentals by the time that he was 40. But in 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Chris was losing money, and they were finding it nearly impossible to keep up with the bills that were piling up. He had a couple rentals, bought some houses, helped me buy my first house. He was making pretty good money. He also became a realtor at that time in Peoria, sold, I think, five houses and netted over a million for the company. But yeah, he was making really good money. He was doing things, you know, and then COVID hit. Since COVID happened, his businesses were shut down. We had to make a hard decision. We had to either, you know, let everything go and find a place we could afford and build what we could, or we could stay where we were at and lose everything because uh, we lost uh, 10 grand a month during the pandemic. So we took what we had and we moved here to Missouri. Unable to keep up with the mortgages on his rental properties, they eventually went into foreclosure. This was a real blow to Chris. He had planned on building his wealth to care for his family and have something to pass on to them. But it all seemed to slip away so quickly. They made the decision to pick up and move from Illinois to Missouri. They purchased a farm and decided to try homesteading. By this time, Zoe was an adult and stayed back in Illinois with her fiancé, Blake. Zoe and Blake would often make trips to the farm in Missouri, and Zoe says that Chris seemed happy with the more simple life they were building there. They bought this house in 2020, and they fixed it up so much from what it had looked like when they bought it. Obviously, they had all their farm animals, the cows, the goats, chickens, all of the birds. 
he had like odd jobs every once in a while, but he was mostly a stay-at-home dad. Me and Blake came here to visit. Mom would take off days and we would just try to all spend time together. Like we'd play Monopoly. Every time we came down, Chris was so proud of this farm. Like he would show us around. He would show us the animals, what they've been doing, their gardens, how the kids are doing now, like how much they've grown since we'd seen them last. While this wasn't the path that Chris had envisioned for himself and his family, it was a fresh start for them and he seemed to enjoy it. But on May 19th, 2022, Chris mysteriously vanished from his home in Dixon, Missouri. Chris and Alicia spent their days working on the farm together and homeschooling their children. Their days were full of chores that needed to be done. Alicia told us about that day. He left the house without a word at 6.30 on Thursday, May 19th. He never does that. He always tells me he loves me to give the kids a kiss. He always tells me where he's going, and he didn't do that this time. I went down to milk our goats, and then I heard the truck start up, and he left. And he left the gate open, which he never does. Summer is just around the corner, and it might just be the best one yet, thanks to the summer of Dash Pass from DoorDash. With a Dash Pass membership, you can save big, now through July 19th, on swimsuits, beach snacks, sunscreen, and more. With summer of Dash Pass, you'll enjoy zero delivery fees and reduced service fees on all eligible orders, making it easy and more affordable than ever to stock up on all of your favorite summertime essentials. But that's not all. You can also get access to thousands of offers nationwide, ensuring that this summer is one to remember. So kick back, relax, and let Dash Pass help you experience the best of your neighborhood for less. Summer of Dash Pass is a once-a-year event that you don't want to miss. Thanks to the chance to get special access to members-only events, whether you're into sports, music, or just great snacks. Get ready to lower your costs and raise the bar this summer with limited edition drops and exclusive items to level up all season long. My family loves DoorDash. It's a service that we use a lot. Like tonight, we wanted some pizza. Experience a summer like no other. Best your best summer with a Dash Pass membership from DoorDash today. Sign up for Dash Pass now and you'll get your first month free. Plus, when you use our promo code, get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your next Dash Pass order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code TVSUMMER, that's 50% off when you spend $10 or more on your next Dash Pass order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code TVSUMMER, don't forget code TVSUMMER for 50% off your next order. Subject to change, terms apply. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and better places to be, instead of listening to you intently, asking you how you feel, and helping you along. The doctor is checking the clock. With ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. 
Go to ZocDoc.com slash Vanished and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash Vanished. ZocDoc.com slash Vanished. We asked Alicia to go back to the beginning of the day that Chris vanished and explain what had occurred and how Chris seemed throughout the day. Were there any signs pointing to what was about to happen? So earlier that morning, we woke up, we came out here, we had coffee like we always do while the kids ate breakfast. Together, we went down and we milked our goats because that's what we do. Everything was fine. We were laughing, joking. He was talking about things that we, you know, he wanted to get done around the property. And then our oldest comes down and yells that Alex, our then two-year-old, had broken all our duck eggs in the incubator. That's my little pet project. You know, I put my heart full in that. And he's like, I'll go clean it up. You just stay here. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I was sad. It's death. He cleaned it up. Afterwards, we met back up here on the porch. And he's like, you don't have to go to work today. I know this is hard for you. And I said, I might as well go. Keep my mind busy. And so I worked. And he stayed home with the kids because he was a stay-at-home dad. I got home about 2, 2.15. There was a tornado warning. It was downpouring. Our property has a habit of flooding. So we went out back and we tried to make sure we wouldn't flood. That meant we had to like clear the drains. 3.34 o'clock, something like that. We came back up here. We like high-fived each other, told each other good job. We prevented the flooding. We were soaking wet and cold, but nothing flooded. We sat out here, smoked a cup of cigarettes, chatted. Everything was normal. And then he uh, he said he was going to go in and take a shower. So I went and checked on the kids and... He called me into the shower and he's like, hey, look at this rash, you know, and I'm like, man, maybe we ought to get you checked out because you've had this rash for two years. And he's just not the person to, to go to the doctor. So he said, no. I said, all right, well, okay. I said, I'm going to go get stuff ready to milk. And he said, okay, baby. He went and he got out of the shower, got dressed. I was in the kitchen. He came up to me and I said, hey, I'm going to go milk. He's like, all right, baby. I'm going to go downstairs. And it was at that point that he left. He didn't tell me he was leaving. He didn't tell me where he's going. The way that Chris left that day didn't sit right with Alicia. She said there wasn't an argument. Things seemed normal. She had just left the house to go milk their goats when she heard his truck start up and drive off. Chris had left his phone and wallet behind in the house. She had no way to reach him. She instantly got a bad feeling about this and called Zoe back in Illinois. And I said, hey, you know, I said, Chris just left. She's like, okay, what did he take? And I looked down his phone was left. His wallet was left. She goes, go check the guns. And so I checked the guns. and I couldn't find anything that was missing. She's like, well, just calm down. He'll be back. Chris always comes back. But then he always told us where he was going to. And he never went anything anywhere without a purpose. Zoe remembers getting that call from her mom like it was just yesterday. But she tried to reassure her mother that everything was fine. There had to be a reasonable explanation for this. And Chris would be back. I was in Illinois at the time with like my fiance and my son. It was 6.30 and mom had texted me and she's like, Chris just left. I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, he just left. He left the gate open. He didn't say a word. I don't know what happened. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Maybe he just went to the store or something. Like I just kind of wrote it off at first. You know, it's probably something little. He went to go grab something. He went to go help our neighbor. He'll probably just be back in a few minutes. That's all it is. And I think I'd put my phone down for a little while because we had a friend over and we were trying to cook out. I wasn't super concerned. I didn't expect him to just leave. So I thought it would be a small errand or something. 
And at 8.30, mom had called me and she's like, Chris isn't back. I'm scared. He's not back. He left his phone, his wallet. Nobody's heard from him. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. At which point I had gone out in the garage to talk to her because it was quiet. And I'm like, okay, there's no friends that he could have went to. She's like, no. At that point, I had started panicking because he would have taken his phone. If something was wrong or anytime he would have gone somewhere, he would have taken his phone. He would have let someone know. And that two hours have passed and no one's heard from him. So I'm like, did he stop at any stores or anything? And she goes, no, his wallet's here. And I'm like, mom, you need to check his guns. Check his guns and see if everything is there. And she did. And she's like, no, everything looks like it's here. Our handguns are here. All the rifles are here. We're both crying at this point. Alicia was kind of stuck. She had three young kids there at the house, and she couldn't just leave them there alone. But she felt the need to go out and look for Chris. She was very worried, so she called a friend to come to the house and care for the children while she went out to see if she could spot Chris or his truck anywhere nearby. About 8.30, I called up one of my friends to come watch the kids because he had still not come home, and I ended up driving down the road. I just thought I had to go check the river. Sure enough, I found his truck parked on the access road to the river. It was at least a football field length away from the river, and it's approaching dusk. So I go out to the woods as much as I can with a phone flashlight. I holler his name. You know, I look in the truck. There's nothing amiss. And so I texted my friend. I said, I found his truck, but he's not here. And she goes, I need you to call 911. So I went home and I, I called 911 and I reported him missing. It had been two and a half hours. Like I said, my husband doesn't do anything without a purpose. He doesn't just leave everything. So I knew he was gone. And I don't, I don't know what gone means at this point. If he had hitched a ride and left or if he had uh, gone and killed himself. Like, I don't know at this point. I don't feel like he's dead in my heart, my gut, whatever you want to call it. Alicia had a bad feeling about all of this, and the police seemed to take it seriously. Chris's truck was found close to a river. It was an immediate concern that perhaps Chris could have jumped or slipped in, so they began searching the water almost immediately. They sent someone out to the river, and he uh, looked as much as he could, again, with it being dark. Then he came out here, took out a report, gave me the missing person's paperwork. I filled that out. He went back to the river and grabbed the truck key and brought it back to me took the paperwork, and then the next morning at 10 a.m., they had a search team of like 50 people searching the woods and the river. They took it seriously. I had a damn good detective at first. At the end of June, he moved. I never once believed he went in the river. I thought maybe he'd be walking the woods, but I wasn't sure. My other thought was, got to ride out. The first time they searched, which was by 10 o'clock that next morning, they did tell me they didn't catch his scent. They did not at all. And then 10 days later, they said they got a scent up to the road. Nothing came of that. It went to the road and that was it. But I would really like to know exactly where they've looked. They tell me they looked from Highway 28 all the way down to Boiling Spring Campgrounds in the woods. But like, how far up the woods did you go? I can see the woods from here. And I know no one came up to this road, you know, and this is the first road past that point. Highway Patrol told me that the way that river twists and turns so much, they have never found a body in that river more than five miles out. And they have searched. They've used sonar. There's no clothing found. There was nothing. The river was not far from Chris and Alicia's farm. It was a place the family was familiar with. They would even go down to the river in the summer to cool off and let the kids swim. Zoe was hours away in Illinois and hated being away from her mom and siblings during this uncertain time. But she and her fiancé had recently had a baby together. They were young parents and money was tight. 
Zoe was able to pull together enough money to make the trip out to Dixon, but she would have to cross that river to get there. As she was going over the bridge that was near where Chris's truck was found, she was overcome with emotion and had to stop driving. That was the river. Whenever I came down, we would go swim at. Like, we would take the kids, we would go swimming, we would go, like, explore the little creeks and try to prank crawl dads. That night, we were sitting down in bed, me and Blake, I want to be there with mom. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to be with my siblings. And he's like, hey, maybe give it a couple days. If he doesn't come back in a couple days, we'll talk about getting you down there. But right now, we don't have a lot of money. And I'm like, I will talk to all our friends and family. Like, I will find a way, but I want to go down tomorrow. He was super supportive about everything. And he was worried, too. But he was. I think he was really just hoping that everything would turn out all right. Blake's brother had sent me $100 that I can get down. And I could grab diapers for Jackson on the way in case I needed them. And I woke up at like six or seven the next morning. I threw everything I had packed the night before in the car and I came down here. I remember a big thing for me. I I had just gotten farther away from St. Louis, like out of the busy part. And mom had texted me and she goes, hey, when you have a chance, call me. It's important. And I immediately start bawling my eyes out. His truck was down by the river. That made me panic because like, why was his truck down by the river? I immediately thought all the worst things. And I pull over to gas station, like I'm bawling my eyes out. And she's like, hey, everything is okay. I just wanted to let you know. Like, I know you're getting closer. When you drive by the river, don't look at it. Just keep going. And she told me some other facts about, like, what the detective had said and everything. She's like, just drive by the river. Don't stop and look at it. Just come home. I'm like, okay, you know, like, thank you for calling me. I'm panicking, though. (laughs) And she's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you panic, but everything is okay. Of course, I didn't listen to her, and I stopped to look at the river. So I had pulled over by the side of the river. I got Jackson out of the car with me and I had gone to the bridge and I'm looking over at it and automatically everything just gets worse because the river is so high. I'm bawling. I get Jackson back in the car. I drive home. And then, of course, when I get here, mom's like, I told you not to look at the river. And I'm like, I know, mom. It was knowing what it could mean because just because it was so high, if he did jump or if anything had happened, the river was so fast and so high, it would have just swept him away. That's what was happening in my mind. Chris's father, Dan, wasn't immediately aware that his son was missing. They hadn't talked much in the years before Chris disappeared. There seemed to be some level of estrangement there, and Chris wasn't reaching out to family much or letting them know what was going on in his life. So Dan was shocked when he heard from Alicia a couple of weeks after the fact, letting him know that Chris had vanished. They lived down in Missouri. They lived down there for a while. and so. The communication between me and him wasn't that good. I'll admit that. We we had our issues, but uh, we still talked. What he did down in Missouri, I have no idea. Matter of fact, I really didn't know he had moved down to Missouri until, uh, you know, Alicia texted me, said he was missing. I didn't even know he's down there. And the last time me and Chris had really spoken was when I was getting remarried to my wife that I have now. Like I said, my first wife passed away from breast cancer, and I got married uh, December 4th almost a year and a half ago. And I had told him I was getting married and told Ashley, and they both seemed pretty happy about it. And really, after that, there wasn't much talking. Alicia told me about two weeks after, texted me and told me he's been missing. My wife just said it was June 5th when I found out. So he went missing middle of May. I wasn't told about it until June 5th. My first thought was he might have committed suicide. That was my first thought because they found his truck, I think, down by the down by the river and he didn't take his wallet with him he didn't take his phone with him he's in the vehicle sitting there by the river so that 
That was my first gut instinct. Like Dan, Teresa didn't realize that Chris was missing right away. It was Dan who called her to tell her the news a couple of weeks after the fact, after he was contacted by Alicia. But Teresa thought he would turn up. She had seen him run from his problems in the past and thought that was what was happening this time, too. My brother called. She didn't tell Dan until two weeks. I think it was two weeks, if I'm remembering right, on that part of it. I've seen him run away before. I've seen him do stuff before. And I'm thinking, he'll be back. He'll be back. He just told me that he's been missing for two weeks. And I says, two weeks? And he says, and before you say, why am I calling you two weeks after the fact, she just called me. But Teresa also told us that it had been a while since she had heard from Chris, too. And she wasn't really aware of what was going on in his day-to-day life at that time. Until he went missing, I think I had I had a call from him. And then when I called called him, I got his voicemail. And I haven't talked to him since. And I guess that's when they were getting ready to move down there to the farm. Teresa had helped Chris out when he had fallen on hard times when he was younger. She had found him living in his truck and brought him to stay with her. She held out hope that he had just cracked under the pressure and taken off back to his familiar places in Illinois. So she went looking for him there. Something had to happen for him not to show back up here at my house and me not be able to find him. I mean, I have been all over down here in Illinois looking wherever his spots were around here. Just like I said, I went over to Warsburn to the house. And it was uh, in foreclosure. There was nobody around. And you could tell nobody had been there. I went back over again later on. And new locks were put on like padlocks that it was in auction. But the ones in Peoria were getting sold. And in in the same timeline, like the foreclosure and then auction. And some of them been sold. And I went over to Pekin to Stomping Ground. Could not find him. Went back over to Marquette Heights where my brother lived at, his house was there, did not see any sign of that. That house has been sold. And then the last house, the last two houses in Pekin that Chris Chris was at, the one was on 3rd Street, that house has been sold to somebody else. I haven't seen him walking around or anything. And I've even been looking like parking lots. That's how I found him before. He, he had his truck tucked way back behind a building in a parking lot. And I just went driving down it, and I recognized his truck. And he was living in his truck. Alicia told us about one clue that investigators found in Chris's truck that they thought would bring them answers. But it hasn't, at least not yet. They had found a cigarette butt in Chris's truck, and Kaufman was 100% sure that this was going to give us the answers we need. We can't find him in a river. We can't find him in the woods. So this is going to tell us the last person to see him, right? Well, they can't match it to anybody. With no one to match the cigarette butt to for now, it remains a lead that could go somewhere in the future. Alicia doesn't know what happened to her husband, and she has tried every avenue she can think of to look for clues. She looked in Chris's phone that he had left behind, and Chris was fairly isolated at the time, so it wasn't like there were friends nearby that he would have been confiding in, or that he may have gone to visit that day. I went through his phones. There's nothing in his phones that indicate anything that he even talked to anyone the week before he left or even two weeks before he left. We didn't really talk to our friends. We had each other and we just, we had our lives. He would help our neighbor with projects around the house and wash up his muscle car for car shows. But other than that, no, he really hadn't made friends. 
No one seemed to have any further information about Chris's disappearance that proved to be useful, but one neighbor recalled seeing Chris that night. So my neighbor down the road said that she saw him in his truck uh, between 7 and 8 p.m. that night, and he was sitting in his truck. And she didn't think anything of it, of course, until the cops knocked on her door asking if anyone had cameras or anything. Alicia shared that there have been a couple of sightings of Chris in nearby towns, but no one has been able to confirm that it was actually Chris. The sightings could simply be people who looked like him. There were a few sightings, two in Lebanon and one in Festus. When I spoke to the detective, it was about a month and a half ago now, he told me that he couldn't really follow through with that because there's no really description of what he was wearing, what he looked like, did he have a beard, was he clean-shaven. So without all that identifying information, it was really hard to look into those leads. But I did contact the police departments in each of those towns and made them aware that, you know, hey, there was a sighting, here's what he looks like, he's missing, can you keep an eye out? But I haven't heard anything back. The fact that there was two in Lebanon from two different people, it was about a month apart, one in January and one in February. That seemed like maybe it could be something. We did ask Alicia if there was anyone in Chris's circle that could have had a motive to harm him, anyone that he could have had a falling out with. Alicia told us about something that happened about a year prior to Chris's disappearance. We did have trouble with meth heads when we first moved in, so I don't know. And they live down three miles from us. I don't have any specific names. I can't even tell you what they look like, but I know Chris has had trouble with them. Uh, We hadn't had problems with them for a year. There's been no problems since he's left either. We had someone try to break in, or at least was on our property about 4 a.m., And uh, we woke up to the dogs barking and Chris watched this girl leave. And then not even a quarter mile down, she gets in a car and there's a guy driving. He chased him down and basically told him, you know, stay off the property and all that. We ended up calling the cops. And if I remember right, it was actually Morton, Detective Morton, who was not a detective then, who came out and he's like, what do you want me to do about it? He gave him a license plate. They were on her property or they were trespassing at at the very least. But nothing was done about that either. So I'm sure there's an incident report somewhere about that. The guy that was driving that car, like, he would come by and harass us, like, honk at all hours of the night every time he drove by and flip my husband off. And then this guy's dad stopped by and they got into a yelling match. But like I said, there was nothing for a year before he left. It seemed like pretty much an isolated incident. We get support from Audible. If you're looking for a way to get more reading in, Audible is the perfect way to enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one place. Did you know that in addition to their thousands of audiobooks, they also have podcasts, theatrical performances, comedy, and exclusive Audible originals? And right now, I'm excited to listen to a new title from Audible, The Gift, a riveting audio thriller by international best-selling author, Sebastian Fitzek. It's about con man Milan Berg, who has a photographic memory, but he's hiding a secret he can't read. When he comes across a car in traffic with a girl in the back seat, she desperately holds up a written note to the window. But what does it say? Fearing the girl is in mortal danger, Milan determines to search for her. As he follows a series of clues, each darker and scarier than the next, he's thrust into a nightmarish odyssey with a deepening, disturbing progression. 
The clues are tied to his past. With his life on the line, can Milan save himself and the girl? Or is he a master manipulator delivering one huge con? Narrated by listener favorite Ari Fliakos, The Gift is an edge-of-your-seat psychological thriller. Visit audible.com slash the gift to listen now. Our skin has a huge effect on our confidence. If you have acne or noticing signs of aging, it can be frustrating to waste time and money on products that aren't formulated for you. That's why I recommend Curology. Curology makes personalized prescription skincare products. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs. They use a combination of three clinically researched ingredients, making it more effective than non-prescription cleansers and moisturizers alone. I tried it out myself and it's easy, and I can't wait to get my first box. Just fill out a quiz about your skin, share photos, and a provider will prescribe a personalized formula based on your skin's unique needs. For a limited time, you can get your first Curology skincare box for just $5 when you go to Curology.com Vanished. Go to Curology.com Vanished for this free offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash Vanished. Trial is 30 days. Applies to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Chris's disappearance has caused yet another trauma for the family, beyond the lack of answers and not knowing. Shortly after Chris vanished, his ex came and took the older two children back to Illinois. Alicia has been fighting in family court so that Chris's older two children and the youngest child that they have together can maintain a relationship. He had two kids from a previous relationship, and they have lived with us since they were 18 months and three years, and they're now six and eight. Two weeks after he left, went missing, however you want to say it, the biological mom came out of the blue and took the kids back. She told the cops that she saw my daughter, my oldest daughter's post on Facebook, which isn't true because my daughter's Facebook is completely private. But then she told him again, it was just she saw it on Facebook. We don't know exactly how she found out, but she found out. My three-year-old that I had with my husband, I asked the field questions on where's daddy and where's her siblings and why can't I see any of them? At first, the biological mom, when she picked him up, said we could see or talk to him anytime we wanted to. That lasted a whole two days. She got an emergency restraining order against me saying that I said I was going to come back and take the kids, which on that last video call that I had with those two kids, the youngest asked if he could come home. And I said, I don't know, buddy. I have to find daddy. And then my oldest said, well, will you come see us? I said, maybe next weekend I'll come see you. And then she got the emergency restraining order. So I went through court with that, drove to Illinois, attended court, told the judge what happened. He goes, you understand that they have to reside with their biological mom? I said, absolutely. I said, my whole goal here is to make sure that these kids know their siblings. And he said, okay. And he dropped the restraining order. There was no, she couldn't provide burden proof. And then I hired a lawyer. I'm fighting for visitation. Since December, I've been able to see the kids three times and I've been able to talk to them once on the phone because right now it's a verbal agreement that we're going to follow guardian's recommendations and the guardian's recommendation is one in-person visit a month and two video chats a month. And the only thing that the biological mom has actually done for us is to let us see them for one hour a month. We drive five hours there and we drive five hours back and they only get to see their little sister for one hour. The guardian said that it was 
not right for Chris to cut Cynthia out of their lives. I get it. I had no part in that. But then it is equally wrong that Cynthia is trying to cut out me and my child. So the judge wants to see basically what Cynthia will do these next few months and see if she has the kids' best interests at heart because the guardian has already said best interest right now is a minimum of one visit a month, two video chats, and that's minimum, but more if the kids request it. They have to be put in counseling because I'm stepmom. She's bio mom. She does not want me in their lives, period. It's the kids that are hurting the worst. That's not fair to them. It is not. It's never fair. And that's what hurts so bad is that one event, my husband leaving, has wrecked everything. Uh, I lost my better half. And the fact that I don't have any answers and I don't know what happened. I don't know where he went. I don't know why he left. I can't tell them that he's dead because I don't know if he is. I can't tell them that he's alive. All I can tell them, daddy left and no one knows where he's at and he's missing and everyone is looking for him. It's like, can I come home? And I said, oh, honey, I got to find dad first because I wasn't going to tell him, no, you're never going to see this house again and any of your stuff, your pets and all that. I wasn't going to say that. I said, I have to find dad first. Teresa expressed confusion about this situation regarding the children, and she couldn't understand how Chris's ex would have even been aware that he was missing so quickly. With the kids, when Cynthia came down and got him, I think she forgot that she was friends with me. I sent her a message and asked her how the kids were doing, and she immediately blocked me. And nobody knows how Cynthia even found out about it. According to the dates that we were given by Dan and Alicia, Cynthia took the kids back to Illinois before Dan was even aware that his son had vanished. Dan says that he hasn't been able to make sense of it all. That's a funny thing, too. I don't think it was more than two weeks after Chris went missing. Our only question is, so quickly, and I don't even know if it was a couple of weeks, so quickly, how did she get all that worked out and was able to come get the kids? I don't understand how she was able to find out that Chris was missing, get all the court paperwork, come down to Missouri and was able to get all that done in just a matter of a few days. We felt like we didn't have a firm grasp on the situation with the children. We knew that Chris had moved out of state with the kids in August of 2020, but we didn't know if the custody agreement with his ex had been amended to allow for that move or if he had just left the state. Alicia mentioned that the judge didn't think it was right that Chris had cut Cynthia out before. When did that happen? We attempted to contact Cynthia to get her side of the story, but she didn't respond to our messages. So we went back to Alicia to see if we could get more background information. When they split up, she took the kids and he fought for custody. And in May of 2017, he won full custody. So he has had full custody since then. She could get them every other weekend and then she would have them every other holiday. And in the time that I've been around, she was never consistent on getting the kids. And then when Chris tried to talk to her about, she was supposed to pay like half the financial bills and all that. When he tried to discuss his concerns with her, you know, being inconsistent on visiting and not paying her half, she basically told him that she was not going to pay her half. She's going to see her kids, which she wants to see her kids. It was not an agreeable conversation. And around that same time, she had moved in with her living boyfriend and Chris had requested his last name so he could make sure the kids were with someone that was going to treat him right. And she refused to give him the last name. So he said, well, you're not going to see the kids until you can provide me with this information. I want to make sure, make sure the kids are taken, are being, going to be taken care of. 
And so she hadn't seen him for like five months. Then she finally gave Chris her live-in boyfriend's last name. And he said, you've been gone for five months. Go ahead and just take me to court if you want to see the kids. And she didn't. But then she found out Chris was missing. And she called the detective at the time. It was Kaufman. And said she wanted her kids back. The last time they talked was 2019. December 3rd of 2018 was the last time she actually saw the kids. And yeah, until June 3rd of 2022. June 2nd is when she called the detective. June 3rd is when she picked them up. We don't know the other side of this story. And we don't have any way to verify this in court records. Because family court records regarding child custody are generally sealed to protect the privacy of minors. We couldn't help but wonder if there was more to this aspect of the story. Had Cynthia been looking for the children since they moved out of state? Had she established a line of contact with Chris? And he worried that they would be taken? Was this another stressor in his life? That brings us to the next topic that we want to look into. One thing that stuck out to us as we conducted interviews on this case was Chris's mental health. It sounded like he was struggling after losing his rental properties in Illinois struggling with his self-worth and feelings of failure, not being able to provide for his family in the ways that he wanted to or felt that he should. The move to Missouri was supposed to be a fresh start, but it also may have been isolating. Alicia worked outside of the home, but Chris was home most of the time working on the farm and homeschooling the kids. Zoe explained that on her last visit to the farm in Missouri, she noticed a shift in Chris but she didn't realize at the time how potentially serious it may have been. It didn't click until Chris vanished. The last time I had come down was a couple months prior to when he had left. So he left on a Thursday. The weekend after that, me and Blake were supposed to come down, but money was tight and we couldn't make it down. And like, I felt really bad about that. And him just leaving, him being gone for those two hours, it was weird. And I knew he was depressed last time I came down, but I didn't know how bad it was. I just thought, you know, everyone has a moment where they're just down. And I thought it was just a moment of weakness. Like he was, he was going to come back in full force. He was going to be him. And him just being gone so long made me panic. He never does that. He didn't go into too much detail with me about it at the time. Again, looking back, it makes me worry. But one of his bigger things was like they moved down here after COVID. And it was hard on him to have such a big transition. I don't know if he just did never come back from that or there was some other factor. I don't know. Anytime I came down to visit them, he seemed like he was doing all right, except for that last time, which I think was in January of last year. On one hand, Zoe recognizes that Chris did seem depressed in the months before he disappeared. But there's one memory that she has of Chris that makes the idea of suicide difficult to reconcile. Zoe shared that during her teen years, she too struggled with her mental health and self-harm. And it was Chris who had a long, meaningful discussion with her about it, a discussion that she will never forget. One of the big things that sticks with me about that is I used to self-harm when I met him. And I never told anyone at first. And I, I came to him and I told him one night, like, I think he picked me up from work or something. And like, he pulled over at a gas station and we had a long talk. And one of the things that it has always stuck with me that he said is, I don't want to have to explain to why their big sister is here anymore. Like that is not fair to them, but that is not fair to us, but it's not fair to you. And hanging on to that part of me doesn't think he would commit suicide. It hurt him. And I don't think he would ever want to put us through that, but I don't know because I know depression 
will do some fucked up things to a person. Throughout several conversations with Alicia, she opened up more about how Chris was behaving in the lead-up to his disappearance, and some of the things he was saying to her that are alarming in hindsight. It seemed as though he just couldn't move beyond the financial losses. I know that weighed on him a lot the week before he left, because he was devastated he didn't have anything to leave for his kids. I'm like, yeah, but look what we're doing here, because we were building a homestead, we had a farm, we had so many gardens. We were um, growing out a cow so we could have our own beef, and we knew what was in it. We're doing so many great things. And then he just, he couldn't move past all the loss. Felt like to me, it came out of left left field. Where is this coming from? And why is this bothering you so bad right now in this moment? And I could not figure it out. And I still can't to this day. That week before he left, he, he even asked me if I was going to leave him because of the man he's become. I'm like, I love you. You may not be the same man I met, but I love you just the same. I don't know if he went off to go kill himself. Like, I don't know. Two days before he left, I called him on my break and he was distant and it was off. And I got off the phone. I'm like, why do I feel like we're breaking up? Honestly, I think he was more honest with himself that week before he left than he had ever been. I mean, I know he was more honest with me that week. He told me he didn't want to do this anymore. I'm like, do what? And he goes, any of I'm like, do what? Do you not want, do you not want the animals? Do you not want us? What do you not want? And he goes, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm like, okay, let's fix that. How do we help? How how can I help you? Or, you know, what can we do to make you feel better? And he said he didn't know. And I told him, I'm like, I am here and I will support you in anything, in any way. But you have to like, give me some kind of indication of what you need from me. He did seem depressed, but he was also trying to get out of that, if that makes sense. He was making plans. We were going to do a whole lot of work. We had talked about going to the St. Louis Zoo. In 2018, we had a caricature made of our family. And now that we, our littlest one was here, you know, we were going to go and get it redone. Like, we were making plans. I don't know that he was suicidal, but I can't rule it out. The most he would talk about was how he felt like he wasn't a good husband, which I, of course, you know, I, I try to tell him he was because he, he was. He's the best husband for me. He was upset that before COVID, you know, he had thriving businesses. We were pulling in 10 grand a month and all that. And then with COVID, that shut everything down. We ended up moving here. Just a general sense of an unease on how things were going in his life, I guess. It's not where he thought he was going to be. He loved the goats. He loved the animals. He especially loved the cow. He was extremely happy here up until I'd say about two weeks before. About two weeks before he left is when he showed me he was not love and life. One detail that we heard from a few people in interviews was that maybe there was a gun missing from the home. This could be an important clue if Chris was down and possibly suicidal. So we went back to Alicia and asked her about this gun in question that we were told may have been a sawed-off shotgun. Alicia explained that she doesn't know if Chris took the gun with him or if he had gotten rid of it previously. He took his truck and his truck key. He left the spare key, the house key, the wallet, the phones. He left everything. Our shotgun's missing. I don't know how long. I don't know if he took it with him or if he got rid of it beforehand because I don't go in and mess with the guns too much. And originally I thought he had taken a tent, but I found the tent later. So there's that. But I still haven't found the shotgun. And it was an 18-inch. I'm not sure it was thought off, but it was an 18-inch double-barrel shotgun that we had. Teresa believes that Chris had the skills to live off the grid, 
but she finds it difficult to believe that he would choose to do that and leave his children behind. He's definitely uh, a survivalist. I mean, he can get around. We used to start all kind of things and go camping and fishing and we'd make fires and all that stuff, just practicing for being out in, in the woods and stuff. So he knows what he's doing. That's one thing that Chris is excellent. Chris is a good guy. He's loving. I mean, he just loves his kids to death. He fought so hard for to keep them safe. That's why I was shocked when he just disappeared. I, I, I don't understand it. There's a lot of things I don't understand about about what happened and stuff. It just shocked me because I know that bo- and I'll call him a boy because I know he's a man, but he's still my nephew. I've known him so well through all these years with his kids. I just know that he would not have left those three babies in that house with Alicia outside taking care of the goats and chickens as much as he fought for them. There's something else here that's not being told. There's something else. I know Chris. I mean, when I heard he was missing, I said, no, he would not have left those kids. But then at the same sense, after all she found was his billfold and his cell phone, and he wouldn't have left that. There's a couple of things, strange. Before I weigh what I'm thinking, I think of all the bad stuff. I think of all the good stuff. And I weigh it to see what's more feasible. I don't think he would do that to Alicia. I just don't think he would do that to her. There, there's something else there. I guess the big major thing with me is there is something fishy going on because it's not lining up. There's nothing about this missing case that's textbook anything. And there's something that happened that we're not, we, we're not privy to. It had been quite some time since Dan had seen his son face to face or even really spoken to him over the phone. But Dan was alarmed when he saw the photos that law enforcement had posted of Chris. He noticed a distinct difference in his appearance and can't help but wonder what was really going on with him. The two pictures that the uh, sheriff's department posted when Chris went missing, you take a look at that one when he's in the ball cap, that's Chris. Just a few years later, look at that last picture, his teeth. We spent thousands of dollars on his teeth and he was so proud of those. Look at his teeth, look at his glasses, look at his hair. He just he just looks to me disheveled just from one person to another. Something's going on there. Too much of a difference. He was a good-looking kid. Second picture of him in Missouri, Just he just looked like he was not Chris. He had contacts. I mean, he was always wearing contacts. And in this picture here, he had a pair of glasses, I believe, that were broken. I don't know. Like I said, it just, it just looked like he went from one end of the spectrum to another in just a couple of years. Dan doesn't know what to make of everything that's transpired since his son disappeared. All they have to go on for now are theories. There are no hard facts or clues. The whole thing is just baffling to me. Sometimes I think that he just got up and left. Sometimes I don't know if he's even around anymore. I mean, you know, just some of the circumstances was just, I don't know. I know Chris. I know how much he loved those kids. And I just don't think he would just get up and just walk away. I just don't believe that. I don't, I, you know, like I said, there's just so many things that you think one way and then something, you hear something out and you think another way. And supposedly they took the truck in and, and was, went over it for fingerprints. The detective did say that they took the truck in and they, uh, did whatever they could to find something and just never could find anything. There was a cigarette, butt. Alicia said, that's not the kind that Chris smoked. 
the whole thing just doesn't sound right. Something's not sitting right with me. Never has and probably never will. Like I said, you know, you go back and forth, you play the different scenarios. And the police did say they had the dogs out there. They drugged the river. And so if he did commit suicide, you'd think the dogs would have found something. Alicia struggles to understand what happened that day in May of 2022 and where Chris may have gone and why. She thought that their fresh start was working for them on the farm up until just a couple of weeks before he disappeared. She saw that Chris was struggling, but it didn't seem like something they couldn't work through. It doesn't make sense because he would align things up. He cared for his family that much. He would have made sure we were taken care of. I am 80% certain he did drive it out of this driveway, but where he went in the two hours before I found his truck, I don't know. I know Chris can hide stuff. I would believe anything other than he went and off himself because I, I just, I cannot believe that. I do not believe that. And I never felt that. And he was homeschooling his kids. Like, who puts that much effort into it? Why would he put so much time and energy into everything? Much of the focus of the search efforts has been on the river. And that makes sense. His truck was parked nearby. It seemed like Chris was really struggling with his financial failures. But nothing has turned up there despite extensive search efforts. I talked to Highway Patrol, actually went out to the campground where they went in. Because I asked them, like, can I hang out here? They were getting ready to put the boat in. And I drove down there and I said, hey, uh, can I just hang out here? He goes, you may not want to because if we find him, you're not. it's not going to be pretty. You don't want that to be the last thing you see. And I'm like, and I straight up told him, I'm like, it's not any worse than him leaving without saying goodbye. But I'm like, okay, what's the science of this? Like, if he went in, what do we expect? And he told me that within three to five days, his body would float because of the gases. But they would find clothing, pieces of clothing first. There's no body found yet. And they found one shirt. It was late June. Highway Patrol sent me a text and sent me a picture. Like, hey, we found a shirt. I need, we need you to confirm if it's your husband's or not. So they sent me a picture. And I'm like, he's got a shirt that color, but I need to know what kind of material it is. Because that would say a lot. So I went down to their base here in St. Roberts. He showed me the shirt and it, it's not his. I'm the one that do, does the laundry. I put the laundry away like he doesn't touch it. I know for certain that's not his shirt because it was a large and he wears extra large. I don't believe he's in the river. The uh, Gascony did just recently flood into the woods about three football fields. And my only thought is, well, if he's in there, maybe he'll wash up. But I don't, I don't believe he's in there. Alicia is still at the farm, trying to hold everything together. It isn't easy doing it on her own. Zoe and her fiancé help out as much as they can, but Alicia says that it has really taken a toll on all of the kids the most. Alexa has had a bit of a setback. She asks her daddy every day. She cries. We have to watch videos. My oldest is functioning better as well, but, you know, she has her moments. And then the middle two, his two... Every time we see him, they ask if we found him. The eight-year-old said that she's worried that he's D-E-A-D. And I just remind them that I'm getting more and more people to look for him, and I'm doing everything I can, and hopefully we can bring him home. He's out there somewhere. No one knows where he is. We're looking. And she'll even, we'll be in the car. She'll be like, where's daddy? I said, I don't know, baby. And she'll go, maybe he's that way. And maybe he's, you know, and she's pointing like left and right and forward and back. And maybe he's there. Maybe he's there. If she's really insistent, I just tell her I don't know. But mommy's looking. It'll never get easier, but you get better at dealing with it. I hope he's found, too. I hope he's alive. 
So what happened to Chris Hoy on May 19th, 2022? One thought that we kept coming back to while working on this case was that Chris seemed isolated in the lead-up to his disappearance. He wasn't speaking to family much, if at all. He hadn't really made any new friends in Missouri, though tending to the farm and homeschooling probably kept his schedule full. We couldn't find an outside perspective here, and often those outside perspectives provide us with a lot of context. So we had to rely upon Alicia for most of the information about Chris's life and disappearance, because the only other people who were around were young children. We couldn't help but think about an interview we did back in 2018 for another episode with Dr. Julie Serrell, a licensed clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Kentucky. At the time this interview was conducted, she was the president of the American Association of Suicidology and has spent much of her career focusing her research on survivors of suicide and suicide prevention. One of the leading theories of suicide right now is the interpersonal theory of suicide, which was developed by Thomas Joyner and colleagues. And essentially what it says is that kind of the the ideal conditions for someone to end their life involve this sense of thwarted belongingness. They feel like they're alone. They don't belong anymore. That other people wouldn't understand or care for them. The next is this feeling of being a burden. So not only are they alone, but other people's lives are worse because of them. People that are suicidal often think that people would be better off without them. And it's distorted thinking, it's not reality, but they genuinely believe that their death will bring about some relief or even happiness to those left behind. Evolutionarily, we're really designed to keep ourselves alive. And so when someone is feeling suicidal, there's something that's not right. And it's really despite the fact that when people are suicidal, they really feel like they don't deserve help from others, they don't belong, that people would even be better off without them, that it's important to realize that you can get help and there's lots of places to get help. We thought about the things that Alicia told us that Chris was saying and wondered if these were the types of thoughts that were going through his mind on the day that he disappeared and he simply hasn't been found. We have no way to know for sure, and there doesn't seem to be enough evidence to point to any specific outcome. Chris's loved ones hope that he just needed a break and that he'll turn up alive and well one day. For the sake of everyone who loved Chris, especially his children, we hope that answers come soon. If you have any information about the disappearance of Chris Hoy, please contact the Pulaski County Sheriff's Department at 573-774-6196. They also have a tip line at 573-774-7948. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Hotline by calling or texting 988. The world's not going to stop turning because he's gone, but I'm not gone, you know. I can't let it keep turning without me. This new detective is just letting it be. Like, you don't just let it be. He says he doesn't have any reason to believe he's not alive and that he will show up eventually. And then he goes on to say he will show up soon. Like, how can you say that? What do you know that no one else knows? I hope for the best that he is out there somewhere. He's going to come back home. But I don't know because this Saturday it will have been a year. And how do you stay away from your family that long without something bad happening? He always talked about like wanting to do the best. He was always there to help. Like, he always wanted to be involved. Even with every little thing, like even with my son, Jackson, like he wanted to know, he wanted to help. 
That brings us to the end of episode 397. We want to thank everyone who spoke with us for this story. If you have a missing loved one that you'd like to have featured on the show, there's a case submission form at thevanishedpodcast.com. If you'd like to join in on the discussion, there's a page and discussion group on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at The Vanished Pod and also on Instagram. If you enjoy our show, please give us a five-star rating and review. You can also support the show by contributing on Patreon. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be covering a case from Wisconsin. Thanks for listening. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Vanished ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.